What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This episode of the Warriors Huddle is brought to you by the Athletic Club Oakland. One of the things I've missed most during the past year of quarantine has been watching sports with friends. I had no idea how much better it was watching the games with others until I experienced so many unreturned high fives. And luckily, the ACO has come off the bench with an MVP move. They shut down the entire street next to their normal space and created an enormous outdoor section called the Town Gardens. I love it. It's got TVs everywhere, comfortable seating, and their full complement of food and bar service. It's the perfect spot to watch the games with friends and stay safe. In fact, it's our now go-to spot, and hopefully we'll see you there. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans can be sports fans again. We've had a, a bundle of compliments for you, saying you've had the right approach with this new role off the bench. You've handled things beautifully. Um, what do you think about this new role? I'm just here to help this team win. Um, so, you know, whatever I can do to, you know, help this team, that's what I'm going to do. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram, with me per usual, my boy and producer, Marcus. What's up, Dev Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxime. How's it going? Boys, I am excited to announce rejoining us after, honestly, way too long, the beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, a man who attends every single Warriors practice, press conference, shoot around in game when there isn't a global pandemic, and a guy who once met me for a drink and started the kick-it session by saying, dude, that's a really, really ugly shirt. Mr. Connor Letourneau. What's going on, Connor? Thanks for having me. The, that, that shirt lives in infamy. I still think about it from time to time. I feel like that's as inappropriate as it was when you first called out how ugly it was so that all of us can feel, I don't know, nervous, happy, something. Let the record reflect. We are not alone today. Connor and I are actually recording in person, socially distanced, of course. And we have a studio audience. We've got Connor's significant other, Charday, joining us. And I just want you guys to know, I feel strangely nervous. Like, I mean, we have an audience. People listen to this all the time. But having somebody live here is making me sweat profusely. So if I pass out or something, that's why. And Charday, I want you to know that this is making me feel very awkward. I can tell too. Normally you're fired up to have Connor on, but today you're only excited. And I was like, oh man, something's going on here. So, And, and meanwhile, Marcus continues his role as the narrator. Thank you so much <laughs> for pointing out exactly what was there. Connor, do you have any takes on this shirt? Do you like it? No, it's think? pretty, it's pretty, you know, neutral. I like it, you know. You're not trying to offend anyone with it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I wasn't trying to offend you with that last shirt either, but... Uh, that was like over a year ago, like two years ago. Yeah, well, here's a newsflash. I will never forget <laughs> that. Let's go ahead and move on to something perhaps more substantive. Glass half full, ideas easy. 
look back, gentlemen, into recent Warriors past and give me something you like and don't like uh, from that time period. I'll go first. You guys have a little time to think. I'll start with something I like. So last night's game, the Warriors bench played so well that the Warriors were in a game, not that they could have won, that they should have won despite a bad performance from Steph. And what that indicates, right, if, if this team is going to climb – Back to a contender status. What they will need is contributions from somebody not named Curry. Last night we saw that they're capable of that. But what do I not like? I get too emotionally invested in these games, boys. Um, And I was reminded of that last night. So we've had a couple of years, right, where we've kind of not had to care about the regular season so much. Last year, Steph goes down. The team is terrible. I'm watching the games, but I don't really care. This year, up until, I don't know, what, 10 days ago, maybe a little bit more, it's been one foot in, one foot out. You know, we, we wanted them to win, but there wasn't any real stakes. And now that Wiseman went down and the Warriors are looking reasonably competent and they seem to be speeding towards the playoffs i'm back in i care and i forgot how inappropriate i get i was standing for 90 minutes last night they lose the game and i am super pissy i'm like unnecessarily mean to my wife she asks are you still hungry and i immediately go we just ate dinner why would i still be hungry i I was hating a guy named raul netto who i've never met (laughs) in my life because he played well so i i just forgot how much over the top I went, and especially when the Warriors lost, and it's some I don't like. So there's my uh, Warriors Oracle. Connor, what do you got? Something I do like is I like uh, I like Kelly Oubre coming off the bench. Uh, there was so much speculation early in the year, should Kelly Oubre come off the bench because he had been struggling with his shot, and Steve Kerr stuck with him in that starting lineup. Then later in the season, after Kelly had played really well, he gets injured, has that wrist injury, misses five games. Kent Bazemore plays amazingly in Ubre's absence. And then Kerr, in my opinion, makes kind of a risky move in deciding to keep uh, keep Bazemore in that starting lineup and have Ubre come off the bench. You know, Ubre has been very outspoken in the past about the fact that he does not want to come off the bench at this point in his career, which could be an issue in terms of him re-signing next season, given the fact that Clay Thompson will be taking that starting role next season. Um, I thought – he might not respond well to that demotion. You know, he, he has a little bit of an ego as most NBA, NBA players do is, and to be demoted because of a guy like Kent Bazemore, who's just like an okay role player in the NBA. I thought that he might not respond well, but he came out last night, 22 points off the bench, uh, played really well, brought the energy on both ends. And um, I really like that, that, that mix of having him in the second unit, but also having, Bazemore in that starting lineup because Bazemore does all the little things right. And I actually think he's a better fit off playing off of Steph Curry than, than Oubre is. And then something I don't like, this is going to sound weird to say it's something I don't like because it actually sounds like a positive thing, but it's actually negative in the big picture in the sense that I don't like the timing of when the Warriors started playing well. That sounds weird. Because it was right after James Wiseman went down for the, the rest of the season with the knee injury. So it just is further evidence and proof that he's not a great fit in the Warriors system and that they play better without him because immediately he goes down with that knee injury in the Rockets game and they go off, they go, they reel off their longest win streak of the season, their best run of the season. They're figuring things out on both ends of the floor. Uh, Offensively, they have so much more synergy, so much more flow. Steph looks even more at ease putting together historic 
performances. Um, and that, when you're talking about the long-term outlook of this team and the fact that they're going to rely on James going forward, uh, a James who, by the way, is going to miss the entire offseason rehabbing from that knee injury and his development is probably going to be delayed next season, it's, it's actually not a good thing uh, long-term-wise, which I, I hate to find the negative in the only positive part of the season, but I can't help but think about that. It's a practical reality. We started the year with that exact concern. Can they pursue two different goals, right? Can they pursue Steph's current title window, and can they pursue developing Wiseman? Then the season started, and we said it doesn't look like they can. Now we're at the point of the season where we know they couldn't, for sure. And this recent success has illustrated, I got some Ubre follow-ups, but first let's bring in MT and Maxine. Boys, something good, something bad. What do you got? Um, let's see. Something good that I liked was the body language. I'm a I'm a big believer and fan of the little things like high-fiving each other and when players talk on the court and the Warriors in particular, like Ubre and Steph, um, you know, a couple other people would would just not have that camaraderie on the court. You could tell they liked each other, but they, they wouldn't have those, you know, like double high fives that Draymond and KD would have um, type of moments and just kind of uh, little inside things. And it's, I liked that they were starting to talk more on the court and I just noticed it and it was a pleasant surprise. So a little thing um, that I think could go a long way in starting to build that chemistry and hopefully to Connor's point, um, have Ubre slide over to the six-man role and, and be comfortable with it. One thing I did not like was everybody giving credit to Westbrook for being a defensive stopper all of a sudden just because Steph missed some jump shots. Like, Steph missed the shots. It wasn't because Westbrook was just playing amazing defense and was just suffocating him. He just didn't make the shots. He had a cold night. But everybody kept talking about a Scott Brooks Westbrook was like, oh, yeah, I really just wanted to focus and lock down. And, you know, like I did that tonight. I'm, I should be known for my defense. It's like, dude, he just missed shots. Like, get over yourself. Am I weird in being a little bit disappointed that one of the things that you didn't like was my shirts from the last couple of weeks? Because, I mean, I feel like we've had a couple of Zoom calls and you had an opportunity to give me some compliments both then and now and nothing happened. So, you know, I'm a little pissy. I texted Connor and I was like, he's wearing offensive shirts again. I knew it. I knew it. You <laughs> bastards. I, I mean, I wasn't sure, but if I'm being honest with you, that's why I asked you that question. And the truth has been ferreted out. I hate you, Marcus. It just is what it is. Maxime, take me away from this guy. What do you like or not like about the Warriors? I mean, I like all your shirts first and foremost. See, that's why you're my guy. I mean, let the record reflect. Maxime is my favorite, dude. It just is what it is. <laughs> One thing I did not particularly like, uh, and I feel like this is a trend that's been going back to uh, maybe even the, the beginning of, um, of February, is that when we got close games coming into the last five minutes, they tend to be ours to lose. And I feel like that was, again, the case last night. I'm a little bit worried about our crunch time play and sort of our, our focus and commitment um, when the game is on the line like that. Uh, something that I did actually really like, I kind of just want to hone in a little bit uh, on, on what was already mentioned about the bench play. I, I continue to be really impressed with Jordan Poole. Um, the dude is just showing up big time, night after night. Um, and I think in sort of in whatever capacity he's allowed or whatever his minutes are allowed from game to game, he makes the most of them. Um, and I think it, it doesn't just speak well to his own character, but it also speaks well to, I think, what the Warriors prioritize when they're looking for uh, from new talent from, from each draft class, right? They really celebrated Wiseman's, um, you know, off-court demeanor 
right? Um, in some of the early interviews as part of why they selected him. And when that story came out, Myers got a lot of flack for saying that. And, and at the time, and I still feel that that's actually a really, really important trait. And I think they saw that or an aspect of that in Jordan Poole too, right? Maybe, I mean, with the 28th pick, it's never a guarantee, but they saw somebody that was going to work hard night after night. And I think they're playing the long game with these picks because these people take time to develop. And I just love what that means for our future development as well. I've got a bunch of listeners' questions here for the Warriors Oracle section, but let me follow up on something Connor said earlier with my own question. So you tweeted out a story today from friend of the podcast, friend of the Chronicle, Rusty. Um, and the title of that, I believe, was, let's find out here, may or maybe Ubre would accept a bench roll. Haven't read it yet. It's in my queue, but spoil the ending for me. Right. So all of us have kind of made this assumption that Ubre is only here for a year for two reasons. First, money, then role. And, and he specifically came out and said, I want to be a starter. I don't want to be a bench guy. This title makes me a little optimistic. Has something changed? I mean, wh- where did that come from? Well, it, the, the premise of that story was basically um, you looked really comfortable in that bench role in a six man type role. And if he finishes the season strong and has 14, 15 games under his belt in that role and, and likes it and sees the merits of it, maybe he'd be more open to re-signing with the Warriors because, as we've talked about a, a million times, if he re-signs with the Warriors, it'll be in a six-man capacity because once Clay comes back, he's moving to that bench. Um, Clay will probably miss the first couple months of next season, so maybe he's the starting two-guard for a couple months and then moves into that six-man role. But – to be honest with you, I think it's a worthy topic, but I still just don't think he's resigning with the Warriors. And I don't think it's just because of him. I also think it's it's from the Warriors' perspective. If you look at his season as a whole, I know statistically he's looked pretty good. His plus-minus has been horrible, though. The deeper analytics have been horrible. He's not a good fit for their system. Um, they're not better with him on the floor. He's not as good defensively as people say. Um, he's not worth $15 million a year, and that's what he's going to warrant for agency. And for a team that's deep in the luxury tax, I just don't think you can, you know, that just doesn't make sense. I will take it in a more emotional angle, which I'm sure is not a surprise to anybody. But what I am worried about is, is he good enough? Is his talent deep enough to dictate him forcing the Warriors to change how they have their rotations, right? I mean, abstractly, I don't care if it's Wiggins or Oubre starting. If next year they're like, look, we really want Kelly. It's important to him that he starts. We're going to have Wiggins come off the bench and he'll be the the center point for the uh, second unit scoring and we will go forward there. I wouldn't necessarily have a problem as a fan. What I don't like is the Warriors bending in response to Oubre's requests because I don't think he's that good. That's not really how the Warriors operate historically, right? I mean, especially for someone the caliber of Oubre. Um, I think they have a lot more loyalty to someone like Andrew Wiggins and Wiggins has played really well this season he's been consistent the big knock on him coming from Minnesota was that he was inconsistent he's been arguably their most consistent player this season that that includes Steph Curry Uh, Andrew Wiggins has played every single game this season he's the only player to have done that Um, he's his past 12 games he's been upwards of 20 points I think 10 of them um, so he's he's doing his thing. He's he's the most efficient he's ever been. He's playing the best defense he's ever played. He's a really good fit alongside Steph and Draymond, and I think he'll be even better once Clay comes back. So why mess that up for someone like Ubre, who I don't even think is in their long term plans? Any truth to the rumor that Wiggins has always been a fan of my shirts? 
No, I haven't asked him that yet. Fair enough. Uh, let's go. Actually, let me let me ask you, Marcus. Do you care? Would you if if the only thing at the end of the day, um, keeping the Warriors from being able to re-sign Ubre is a starting role? If it were up to you, would you just give him the start and then bring Wiggins off the bench? No, I wouldn't. And it's the same reason that kind of just laid out. Like I think the fit is questionable um, f- for a starting role. I don't think you change your plans for. Um, a player that his plus minus and his fit for our current roster, especially when Clay comes back, just isn't strong enough to warrant you kind of changing your plans to fit what he desires. So um, I wouldn't. Um, I I still think Wiggins is a is the better fit. Um, but you know, like that said, I really like. Ubre on the team. I think he brings some intangibles that don't necessarily show up in the score sheet um, that we would miss. So I'm hoping that he'll accept it. I understand that it's probably a long shot given the money situation and the role, but I'm hoping he stays because I think he would be a welcome addition to that second unit. Let's move to Warriors Oracle. Um, for those who are new to the show, the idea is pretty simple. Really, this is just a mailbag uh, where we lean on our listeners to actually give us content. I'm too lazy to come up with our own questions. The only thing that separates it from a normal mailbag is we occasionally get requests for personal questions. And I know, having looked at these, that there's going to be a couple. The first one is not personal. It's a Warriors question, and it actually dovetails right into something we've already been talking about. Here's the question. Quote, The Warriors have solidified following Wiseman's injury. Um, They've turned it around, and they probably should have had a 5-0 road trip. What seed do you expect them to finish in? And give us a quick prediction of how they do in the playoffs, assuming they make it. I'll go first here. Um, I think they get to the seventh or eighth seed, which actually gives them a huge advantage in this playoff tournament. So if any of you out there are like me and don't really understand how the f*** this playoff tournament works, here is what happens. If the Warriors do, in fact, make that seventh or eighth seed, they have two shots at making it into the postseason. The seventh and eighth seeds play against each other. The winner automatically goes to the playoffs. They are the seventh seed. The loser is an out. They then go and play the winner of the ninth and 10th uh, seeded game. And then the winner of that becomes the eighth seed. So I think the Warriors will make it into that seven or eight slot, have two shots to get into the playoffs. They get there and I think they play Utah. And I think it's going to be a remarkably exciting, but ultimately disappointing series that reminds us of, we believe, but doesn't get there. I think they lose in six games. What do you got? Yeah, I think I think something similar. I think they're going to sneak into that eight spot. I think they're only a game out right now, um, and they have a really friendly schedule to end the season. I think they have, like, the fourth easiest schedule in the NBA to finish the season, and it's a lot of home games. Um, they're going to have fans back at Chase Center, and uh, I think that they're going to get enough out of Steph to, to get them into that eight spot. Also, like we've talked about, they're just better with these small ball lineups. And I think that they've kind of found what their identity is. I think part of the reason why they couldn't find their identity earlier in the season was because they were trying to, you know, kind of force a, a round peg into a square hole. And now that Wiseman's out, they don't have to do that. And so uh, I do think they're going to probably sneak into that eight spot, maybe even the seven spot. It's really crowded, so they could get either. But um, I think they'll get into that first round. And if they do play Utah – um, I know a lot of people are really down on Utah. Utah's freaking good. Utah is unbelievably good. And by the way, Utah has the easiest schedule in the NBA to finish the season, which means that they've had the hardest schedule up until this point, and they still have the best record in the NBA. So um, 
I think the Warriors would be lucky to win a game. Uh, maybe they still too, but it doesn't go beyond six games. Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I think I think best case scenario, you're looking at the eight seed. I wouldn't even be surprised if they end up still at nine, uh, and it's a little bit more of a fight to actually make it into the first round of the playoffs. I mean, the Grizzlies, who are sitting right above them in the standings right now, uh, don't have a particularly um, easy schedule. It's not the most difficult, but um, you know, it might even come down to the last game of the season, uh, which they play the Warriors on May 16th. So I think there's some intrigue to be happening all the way around. MT, hold off because I know we're going to lose you a little early today. And this next question, I really want your answer for. So let me reframe it and then we'll go back to you. It's initially addressed towards Connor. It's one of our personal ones. And it came from Jeff of our Patreon crew. Quote, has Connor ever asked a question, either in an interview or in a media session, that he wished he could have taken back or was just embarrassed to have asked it? Um, that is a, a phenomenal question. Wow. That a boy, Jeff. I have, I have a couple, uh, that come to mind. Um, the first one that comes to mind, and this, this is embarrassing, uh, legitimately <laughs> embarrassing. This was, this was my second year on the beat. Um, I'm so happy your significant other is is here to not only hear it, but to be like just right next to you and kind of judge you as you suffer through this. This is fantastic. We're in Detroit. Uh, we're at Detroit Mercy University at a practice there. Um, and as we know, uh, Draymond Green is from Saginaw, which is not that far from Detroit. So it's kind of his homecoming game. So it's a small media group that day. It's like me and a few other reporters. And we're talking to him about Detroit. And downtown Detroit is changed a lot in the past decade you know it's um you know been gentrified a lot and um you know there's been a lot uh, of development in that part of the city and we're, we're talking about detroit and i i worded the question in such a way where i was basically like what do you think of all the you know like the gentrification going on in the city and he just he just looked at me and like took a step back and just looked at me and was like well i don't support gentrification <laughs> Uh, and I was like, I, I didn't mean to, to imply that he supported gentrification, but I asked it in such a way where it made it sound like I was pro gentrification. Are you like me and love the gentrification here in Detroit? <laughs> Which, uh, made me sound, come across as such a, like, you know, uninformed idiot. And, uh, you know, we later, he, he and I later talked about, like, he like kind of gave me a hard time joking about it. And we were, we kind of joked about it later, but in that moment, I was like, wow, I'm an idiot. Is that why you're wearing a shirt that just says gentrification on it? I mean, I wasn't going to ask any follow-ups and was confused, but that actually makes uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, Marcus, I'm going to tweak this for you. All right. So expand it. Have you ever had a moment in any setting, work, personal, anywhere, where you said something that you desperately wanted to take it back the second it left your lips? Um, well, yeah, I'm sure everybody has. Um one that comes to mind and not trying to name drop, but um, I was fortunate enough to, in my previous job, work with some celebrities and I found myself in a music studio picking a music track for the commercial I had written and the commercial featured Dr. Dre. And I was inside Dr. Dre's studio with Dr. Dre listening to music like beats that he had made and i got to pick one to go on the spot um that i had written with him so it was a surreal experience and 
Um, everybody's there, you know, there's a whole crew obviously that's around him at all times. And at some point, I guess lunch comes for some reason, everybody is leaving one by one and it ends up being literally just me and Dr. Dre in front of this like table in his studio and he's eating Doritos and I didn't know what to say. And I was just like, oh man, I got to say something like I can't just be here, just quiet and weird. So I just blurted out like, which one is your favorite beat right here? And the way it came out was, I didn't think it was that bad, but it definitely came across and came out in the tone. Like, like some of these are whack beats and you, which one is, is good enough for my commercial. And he kind of gave me this look and was just like all of them. And that was the extent of our conversation and my relationship with Dr. Dre. And did he, did he actually say anything or did he just give you a look and then quietly continue to eat Doritos? <laughs> he gave me a look, said all of them continue to eat Doritos. And to, that was it. Context just remind us that it can always be worse. I have a friend who covers the Lakers. I'm not going to name him publicly, but he covers the Lakers. And when Swaggy P was on the Lakers, Nick Young was on the Lakers. Uh, he asked him a question once in a group setting, in a press conference setting and said something to the effect of, how did you develop your swaggy? <laughs> your swagginess. Capital-P-N-E-S-S. I, I, and, I mean, just the entire room bust into laughter. Let the record reflect that after Connor said swaggy P, he stopped, made eye contact specifically with me, and then made sure I knew who he was talking about. Connor, you bastard, I host a Warriors podcast. Nick Young played for the Warriors, dude. I know who Swaggy P is. Uh, this will come as a shock to absolutely nobody. I have tens of thousands of stories that would answer this question. Um, I'll give you a couple. One actually answers this question in a media setting. So a while back before the, the world ended, I was lucky enough to attend a shoot around at Chase with the Portland Trailblazers. And they were interviewing Dame Lillard, obviously from Oakland. I'm standing super close to him. They throw a softball to him. Something about, have you noticed the difference of the fans in Chase Center versus Oracle, San Francisco versus Oakland? And he answers, and then I take advantage of it. And I had like a, I don't know, 10 second, 15 second answer to him where I say something off the cuff about how I am from Oakland. I'm not necessarily a media member. And I've noticed this huge difference between the fans. And it went well. He gives me a facial expression that suggests like, yeah, it landed exactly as I wanted. And, you know, he, he thinks I know what I'm talking about. And instead of just quitting while I'm ahead, I take that as some kind of an invitation. Like, oh, he wants to hear more from me. And then so I just keep talking. I don't know, for like 90 seconds uninterrupted. I have no idea. It's like an out-of-body experience. I have no idea what it was that I said. And then I finally look back up. And now he has a look that says, who the f*** is this guy? And why is he still here? So, yeah, I, I can't tell you what I'd like to take back but all 90 of those seconds, all of them. Um, and then in a broader setting, I've told this before, I probably shouldn't tell it again, it is what it is. I went to an Oakland public high school, went to Skyline, then immediately after Skyline, I went to Santa Cruz and there was some identity problems there. For the first year, I was still positive that I was a black man and confused a lot of people. And my first uh, semester, I literally took African-American studies and I look back on that, and let's just say I raised my hand a lot, which is mortifying. 
which is mortifying. So like, if I could go back and just stop, like young Bram, right when he wanted to raise his hand, like, oh, no, 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 go ahead and just not say anything. I don't know why you're in this class. That would have, uh, that would have really helped me. So there's my response. Maxime, give us something, some remarkably embarrassing moment you'd like back. Yeah, okay. I just really quickly want to first mention that Marcus's embarrassing moment involved being in a room with Dr. Dre and like eating Doritos. So I'm I'm still kind of reeling from how not embarrassing that oh, was. Oh, and he punked him. There was nothing really embarrassing about it. He the power dynamic was totally in his favor. He was like really with somebody super famous. I mean, you know, it's it was uh, it wasn't embarrassing. No, that's a great point. Like if if you have asked the question of like what's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life, and I could say oh i told dr dre that some of his beats weren't good i'm living you know that's the best thing i could have ever said Graham's, uh, your story reminded me of when i was in college i took an african-american theater class and <laughs> i was the only white guy in the in the class and one of our assignments was we had to deliver a monologue from one of the plays that we were studying um but there weren't any white characters in the play so i had to play a black man and I got up in front of an all-black class as a white man, and I had to play a black man. How'd it go? Pretty well. I felt incredibly uncomfortable <laughs> the entire time. I had no choice, though. Shocking. I even went to the professor and was like, "Is there a character I can play?" She's like, "No, this is acting. Like you have to." I'll have you know that I thought you were going to say. Actually, I just remembered one more thing. There was at one point. I met a very good friend for a drink and I told him his shirt was ugly and I should not have. I should not have done that. And I realize that now, but uh, I guess we'll never be able to take that back. Boys, let's go back to basketball. Um, And this is one whose answer I'm really excited to hear. Quote, excluding Steph and Dre, who on this current Warriors team would you trust in a playoff game? And then they give us some names and they ask us for a yes or no. So I'm going to give you boys some names. You give me a yes or no as to whether or not you trust them Come playoffs, because hopefully uh, they're going to be back in the contending role next year, and we will need something from these. Here's our first name, Andrew Wiggins. Connor, do you trust him in the playoffs? I do, actually. I know he doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, but he's been so reliable during the the regular season, and he comes across as the type of guy that doesn't really get too up or down. Like He doesn't let the – the stakes of the moment get to him. He's really even killed. So I trust him. Yeah. I, I would, I would have no problem putting him on the best offensive player from another team and expecting him to get 17 on efficient shooting. I trust that we can predict what he's going to bring. Let me explain. I trust his, his playoffs in the defense. I agree with exactly what you just said. I trust that he will be able to score in certain moments, and I trust that he's going to miss some giant free throw when we need it most. I know that that's going to happen, and I'm already cringing at it. Maxime, yes or no, do you trust Mr. Wiggins in a playoff game? Yeah, no, I, I completely trust him for all of the reasons that that Connor just listed. You know, I, I have some reservations about, I think, He's recently sort of exposed some weakness around the rim, um, and I think there are times throughout the regular season that he's shown to be not very focused, but I think that will go away come playoff time. I'll give you another name. Connor, to you. Jordan Poole. Um, no, I don't, I don't trust Jordan yet. Um, he's still inconsistent. I mean, I know he had – a really nice stretch when he came back from the Julie bubble. Then he was bad for a couple weeks there. Now he's starting to get good again. Um, but it's just not enough of a, a positive body of work. Um, I still think he takes ill-advised shots a lot. Um, sometimes he makes them, 
but they're still not shots I want him to be taking in a playoff game. And his defense just never has been great. So um, I think that Jordan Poole is looking like he can be a real factor going forward, but his role is too big for his abilities. Like he's right now, they're probably seventh man. He should be their ninth or 10th man. He needs to see it before he can succeed in it, right? I mean, that's what we've seen recently. Yeah. They, when, when they gave him a less pressured role in the G League and he kind of got to see what a little bit of lesser talent looks like, but how he could fit in, he came back and was much better. I bet you the same thing will be for the playoffs. You know, his first appearance in the playoffs, when there's the actual pressure he's never seen before, I can see him not playing that well. And do I trust him there? No. Do I believe in his future after he gets a couple of reps there? Absolutely. And that underlines one of the upsides of the Warriors hopefully making the playoffs this year. Let's get that experience out of the way and then see ultimately where it uh, where it lands. Maxine, let me give you a new name. Um, Kelly Oubre. Oof. Um... I don't totally trust him in the playoffs. Honestly, it's a little bit more of a feel thing, you know? I mean, also, it's of course because he doesn't have a huge playoff resume. Um, but uh, there's something uh, just up. Uh, I can't totally put my finger on it, to be honest. Um, so it's not a very informed take. Uh, but I there's something that, that doesn't quite land for me with him. What Maxime was saying is he just doesn't like Kelly. He is. No, I think he so did say like, I can't really explain yeah. it. I just don't like the guy. Yeah. Is that so, it, Maxime? You just don't like him personally? Well, yeah, I mean, since you say it like that, sure, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about him? Um, I don't I don't fully trust Ubre either for, for the reasons that I kind of talked about earlier. I just don't think he's a great fit. And if you look at a lot of games where he has good, good games, I'm using air quotes right now in terms of like he scores 20 points and has eight rebounds, his plus minus is always bad. Hmm. Like, yeah, I feel like he's not actually serving winning when he's putting up numbers, which is why I don't trust him in a playoff environment. I don't think we're going to see him. I think he leaves ultimately. Um, and so when we need him, we won't have to make this determination. So instead, I'm going to go to another question. This is one we kind of teased a little bit earlier, and I'm going to put it just to you, Connor. And it comes from our Patreon supporter, Noah, although I have uh, rewritten a little bit. Quote, all year, you guys have said that the Warriors were mistakenly pursuing two goals, maximizing Steph's title window and developing tomorrow's talent. Following Wiseman's injury, the Warriors went on a run, and it looks like you may have been right. Do you think that the front office is seeing the same thing and will now pivot towards building just around Steph and look to trade the future, i.e. Wiseman in the picks for the present? That's a great question. Um, it's something that I've thought a lot about and, and written about just because it's, it's, a, it's a topic that I think is super relevant right now. Um, but to be honest with you, I think they have way too much invested in Wiseman at this point to even think about that. Hmm. And the truth is, what's Wiseman's market value right now? Like, what could you get for Wiseman right, right. now? Right. I, he's coming off a potentially career-altering injury that's going to wipe him out, wipe out his his entire offseason. So what what's ha- going to happen is he's hopefully, best case scenario, going to return in late September, a yeah. couple of weeks before training camp. And then he's going to basically be spending the first half of next season just getting his legs under him. Uh, he's going to be on the minutes restriction. He's probably going to be coming off the bench. He's not going to be a starting caliber center next right. season. Like that realistically just is not going to happen. And it's extremely unfortunate, especially given the timing of the injury. There's never good timing for a season ending injury, but for it to happen right when he was starting to figure things out, right when Steve finally changed the offense to best suit his skills. Um, it's unfortunate, but um, I think that 
that they're in a situation where they have to write it out with Wiseman. They have to just basically give him next year to get his feet back under him. And then they need to change the offense and figure out a system that works for both him and Steph. The good thing is that Steph is good in any system because right. he's the best offensive player in the NBA. Whereas Wiseman can't pass. And so he, he, he just can't really be a key part of that read and react system. I mean, what you're saying makes sense at the risk of a poor analogy. If I buy a brand new car, drive it off the lot and then immediately have engine problems, it's not when I want to sell it. You know, I mean, that it right now is established. The only history is an ugly one. You know, I'm, I'm going to want to get it fixed, have it have it kind of establish its own value again, and then maybe go back out into the market. So now wouldn't be the best of times to look for a possible Wiseman trade. I mean, you don't want to trade your number two pick a year after you took him number two for like a mid first round pick and maybe like a French rotation guy. You know, like that you're you're looking at if you're trading Wiseman. Wiseman is for like a Bradley Beal type guy. It's, it's Wiseman and, you know, uh, maybe the top three protected pick from Minnesota for Bradley Beal. That's that's the only type of situation that you even think about trading Wiseman. Does Steph's recent dominance change that at all? So let me rephrase that. If if the Warriors don't have Steph, they do have Wiseman. Of course, that's the analysis. The only analysis. He's You, you look at his talent and you got to get somewhat similar talent back. But with Steph doing what the f*** he's doing, you could, I could justify a different look. Not necessarily that they need to take it, but I could justify it. That we are watching the most talented warrior probably we are ever going to watch. That if this is their best shot at a title probably over the next 20 years, so we should maximize it. And if that means getting back, not a great return from Wiseman, but getting someone who could help them, they should consider it, right? Yeah, I just don't think that's out there right now, unfortunately. And... Um, you know, they, they're, they're just, they're really far down the hole with, with Wiseman. Yep. I mean, a, a number two pick is a, an enormous, not just emotional investment, but financial investment. And they really do honestly believe that Wiseman is going to be a great player. And I think that too, I still believe that Wiseman is going to be an all-star in this league. I just don't think it's going to happen soon. And when they drafted him, they were hoping that he would have his rookie season to kind of figure things out. And then by his second season, he'd be at least close to that all-star caliber guy, it's going to be at least two or three years. Yeah. And that's really unfortunate given the timeline they have with Steph and Clay and Draymond. It's frustrating. It's unfortunate. It's awful. Um, but it also is what it is, which leads to our last question. And one I'm kind of fired up for. So this one was written in by Bram from Oakland. Uh, so needless to say, this one is mine. And I'll give you the question and then some background. Here's the question. If you were Seth Curry, would you always root for Steph Curry, right? So background is obvious, you know, they are both millionaires. Um, Steph has had almost unrivaled success, three championships, two MVPs, one unanimous, right? Face of the league in many times. He's certainly been uh, the bell of this year's ball. And then on the other side, Seth. Seth was a bigger deal in college, at least initially. He went to Duke. Um, better player in high school. There you go. Better. He's, he's Charlotte Christian's all-time leading scorer over Steph. Okay, there you go. And then from that moment, everything went the exact opposite direction. He has not had the titles. He has not had the MVPs. He has not had the success the staff has had, right? So I will go first. If I was Seth and Steph had the success publicly and most of the time, yeah, 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 I'd always say the right thing and would absolutely root for him. He's my brother, we're in family, I want him to have success. But would I always root for him? No. In, in those dark moments, you know, like when Steph beat Philadelphia, you know, just recently this week and had a hell of a game. If I was Seth and I, you know, after the game, if somebody asked me, yep, I'm happy. 
after the game, if I talk to the Currys or Steph, yep, I'm happy. After the game, my significant other asks me about it. Yep, I'm happy. After the game and I'm alone in some dark room, I am not happy at all. I'm a hell of resentful. I'm pissy about his success. When other people ask me about it, I probably have some dark little voice that's like, F him, but I, I never say it out loud. So yeah, I it would be a real mixed bag to get there. Let's crescendo to Connor. Maxime, how would you feel? I mean, what's the what's the expression? If like a tree falls in the forest and then nobody's there, does it even make a sound? I mean, you know, to a certain extent, like who cares? It's all about how you present yourself out in the world. Look, I'm an only child, um, so I don't totally understand sibling dynamics, but I do have a collection of cousins, all of whom share um, some assets from our grandparents that, um, you know, are pretty sizable, right? And basically, if any one of us really makes it big that just overall adds value to the pool so i'm looking at steph if i'm seth and i'm looking at steph's trajectory and seeing him rake in millions upon millions to me as a great sibling and an excellent dynamic in the curry household that's just going to make my ultimate value that much higher and so i'm all in does his healthy answer really annoy you because it really annoys me and i don't completely believe it (laughs) <laughs> so do you believe it? Do you think he's being think, honest with us? I think, I think, as he said at the beginning of his answer, you are an only child. Um, and I just don't think you can understand the sibling dynamic if you are an only child. That's nothing against you, Maxime. I think that's just... No, I take that very personally. Oh, you and you should. It was 100 It was only against you. And there's no question that it was meant as an FU towards you. <laughs> I'm going to give you a shot to pay Connor back. So we're going to ask this to Connor. But first, let me get both of our guesses. Yeah. So I think Connor is going to tell us now he would handle it healthily, um, that he would be very close with them, that he that he has siblings and that he supports their success con- like just constantly. But I think internally, that's bullshit. And I think he would be just as unhealthy as I am. Maxine, what's your guess? Yeah, that's exactly right. You can tell he's already building up to it. He's like, you don't know because you don't have siblings, which is the okay. perfect opportunity to be like, but I do. And I would be hell of healthy about it. That's, that's pretty much what he said. It wasn't just a generic you. He was saying, Maxime, Maxime, you specifically don't know, which I, I thought was great. I'm just going to tell you I thought was great. Let's find out the response. Connor, how would you handle it? I do have an older sister and here's the thing. I want what's best for my older sister. I, I, mm-hmm. I genuinely wish for the best, but you wouldn't understand anything about that. Maxine. that little brother feeling of like, you want to be <laughs> on par or better in certain aspects. Like there, there is that competitive desire that I think was built up at a very young age. and still sticks with me. So I think that on a basic level, do I think Seth is happy for Steph? I do, but I think that it kills Seth because I believe that Seth really genuinely deep down believes that he is as good as Steph because I'm sure there were plenty of times on the blacktop and then in Charlotte where he beat him in one-on-one and he thought, Oh, I'm better than Steph, even though that's not really like one-on-one doesn't really translate to NBA basketball, but I'm sure there's part of him that genuinely believes he's as good as Steph and believes like, why don't I have this level of success when I'm as good as him? Like he believes that there's these other external factors that have prevented him from having this, you know, two MVPs and seven all-star appearances and three NBA titles. Maxime, did you notice that next level pivot from Connor where he almost answered the question and then 
did not. He set up what he might do and then told us what he thinks Seth is doing. What would you do? Dude? Would you feel resentful? I would do the exact same thing that I said that Seth is doing. There you go. All right. I, I'll take my sick nature, just how neurotic I am, to a whole nother level. I, I for zero reason, dislikes or dislike Seth Curry right now. And I, I, like, I really can't tell you why. I was thinking that as we were watching the Philadelphia game. I should have what I'll term a pompous like of Seth Curry. You know, my affiliation is with Steph. Steph has had nothing but more success, as we just described, than Seth has. So just as like a backwards equivalent of what I've just told you, I should like Seth Curry because we're on top. I don't. I was annoyed just by his face as the game played out, and I can't explain that. So, yeah, no, he is. Are you trying to make me angry? (laughs) Okay, now I feel a little bit better about it. Huge fun, you guys. True every week. Certainly true this week. Connor, love having you. It's been too long. I know I'm not alone in thinking it. For those who need more Letourneau in their life, where do they go? Uh, follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron. You can tweet out all my stuff. You can read all my stuff at sfchronicle.com. I also have my own podcast where it's awkward. Uh, Bram is a regular guest on that. Um, check that out as well. Love that show for us. You know where to find us. Um, it's pretty simple and quick. We have a very small social media presence. Our loan account is on Twitter, at Warriors Huddle. If you want to reach out to us, tell us we did a good job, bad job. You want to take a shot at my shirt, we can be hit up at warriorshuddle at gmail.com. With that in mind, go Warriors. And hopefully, we'll see you next week. Good, good.